Thank you for visiting the openword.org, where you can find a verse-by-verse exposition of almost the entire Holy Bible and other theological resources. Welcome to the next part of the series from Alan Schaefer. Let's see if we can get how far we can get here. <clears throat> I think we're still going to be a chapter behind at the end of the day. But we're only one chapter behind is good. Um, in verse 15, Paul continues his discussion here of the linkage between your spiritual life and your physical actions. Don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? So then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot. No way. Um, he's trying to get them to understand that their physical bodies, they're, they're, there is no such thing in the scripture as a disconnection between your spirit, spiritual life, your spiritual component, and your, your body. You are one person. There's no false splitting there. And Paul is saying if you take your body, your physical body, and you commit an act of immorality with a prostitute, that's the same as Jesus being there with you doing that. It's the same thing because you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? You're going to make the Holy Spirit part of that. Um, God sees everything. He's, he's with you. He's in you. Don't you know that he who is joined to the harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh, but he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now notice what he's saying there. Um, if you're joined to the harlot, you're one flesh. Now where does that come from? Where's that quote come from? Genesis. All right. And what the world doesn't understand and I heard a who was it that preached this? Erwin Lutzer. You know who Erwin Lutzer is? Yeah, he's a good guy. Um, I have a hard time listening to him just because of his. There's something about his voice. It's like fingernails on a blackboard. You know, just yeah, it's like a cat. You know, by the tail. You know, I just. But but I tell you, but he 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 is a great he's a, he's a wonderful man of God and he he preached a sermon was really interesting he said the thing you don't understand about immorality or or, the, or sexuality is that it's not just a physical act there's something that happens spiritually emotionally it's not just you know like eating a sandwich all right and um, you know the world when the world sees Love, you know, they think of the sexuality. They think of the physical component of that. What what Paul is saying is, don't you know that if you're joined to the harlot, to a prostitute, you're one flesh. There's something beyond a physical act there that takes place. There's a spiritual connection. There's an emotional, mental, physical connection on a plane other than the physical. And if you do that with a harlot and you've already been joined to Christ spiritually, what are you making Christ part of? That same thing. If you're joined to the harlot, you're one flesh, you're trained to the Christ, the Lord, you're one spirit with him, you're taking him. You and the Lord are joined together in a spiritual connection. And when you 
joined physically with a harlot, you're taking Christ with you. And that, by the way, is whether you're a man or a woman. It doesn't matter. He He's basically speaking to the men because usually that was, you know, men are more easily or, or have a greater sex drive than, than the women do. Um, yeah, but it's it's both. And, of course, in, in Corinthians, you got to understand the way it works here in Corinthians. Underlying the religious um, practices in Corinth and Greece and, and elsewhere in Rome is it was the common belief that one of the ways you worshipped God was through immorality. Um, you would join with a temple prostitute, and by such you would commune with the deities. That was the thinking. So, you know, actually going to church back then was a lot more than just going to hear a sermon. Um, immorality was a was a very essential component of that. All right. And Paul is speaking against that here. That was the culture of that day. And Paul is saying when you join yourself to a harlot, you're joining Christ with that harlot. That is not just you. And he's saying in verse 18, the, the, one of the best verses in the Bible, flee sexual immorality. What do you think he means when he says flee? Yeah, that's that's a no-brainer. It means run from. All right, run from. Now that'll have some practical implications on what you watch on TV and what you do, right? Because you got to run from it. The the idea there is you don't dilly dally around and think you can handle it. You you got to run and got to get away from it. Um, huh? I haven't heard that word since I was little. What's that? Dilly-dally. Dilly-dally. <laughs> Don't dilly-dally around it. The way, the way you deal with sexual immorality is you run, hide, and flee. You get away from it. You don't expose yourself to it. And the problem is, is that in our culture, it's too easy to expose yourself, even unintentionally, to this stuff. And you got to maybe take some steps to isolate yourself from the immorality that's around us. You might have to take practical steps to do that. Some people say God always provides you an escape, a way out. Yeah. But I found sometimes that escape is only a millisecond. Um, if you're not, if you don't, I mean, get out of one of one of the things, one of the things that that I think Christians don't understand is that 95 percent of holiness is sin avoidance. You just avoid it. Um. <laughs> It's not that you stand against the temptation. You don't even allow yourself to get in the spot where you're tempted. That that That's part of being holy is spotting the danger before you find yourself in there. Um, you know, the, the, a lot of Christians haven't caught on to that. And what happens is, is if you expose yourself to sinful situations or a sinful climate or whatever, it, it'll wear you out a little bit at a time. And before you know it, you're snagged, you're caught, and you don't you don't even know that it happened to you. You know, you gotta stay away from it. You gotta run, you gotta flee it. Don't go near it. And Paul is telling Timothy, or not Timothy, but the Corinthians, you gotta it's like running from a from a lion coming at you. You know, you, you gotta get away from this stuff. <coughs> Excuse me, I got the hiccups now. Alan, for a long time, you know, First Corinthians ten thirteen, which Steve mentioned there. For a long time, I, I mean, reading that verse, and I struggled, you know, because it said provide a way out, provide 
And then, I mean, it finally began to dawn on me. The way out may just be that, just running. But I heard another sermon not that long ago. What he was saying is, you know, if, if you have a TV in it, turn it off, you know. If you have a computer, do what you have to do. There's always a way out to mm -hmm. escape whatever that temptation or whatever is going to take you and, and, and bring you in, you know. Yeah, you know, when Super Bowl halftime, go make some popcorn. In my, my house there, for example, my house, no cable. Mm -hmm. And you know what? You know, Some people... I, because, uh, 15 years ago, I read a Judaism book. Judaism book. Mm -hmm. I read it and impact me. It's, uh, uh, Orthodox Jewish people don't have uh, uh, cable. Mm -hmm. So they explain it. Everything, fornication, things, and immorality. And you know what? That's, That's why after that, after yeah. I did it, I called the cable company right away. Yeah. And, and you know what? Some people, some people, that's what they have to do. You know, and, and I think one thing to be cautious, though, is that this is an individual thing. you got to know where your weaknesses are and stay away from them. You know, <laughs> stay away from them, you know. Um, but but you know what? There are some people, and you, you know, go for it. If it if it's a, if it's a stumble for you, stay away. Stay away. I know a Christian man that that uh, got free cable, free cable, and uh, his daughters got into watching it. And the next thing you know, one of them's off into gross immorality, and the internet. Porn and all that other stuff. His daughter just got sucked off into that. And where did it come? It came through the cable box. Look, you know, you might have to, you might have to turn it off or get rid of it. I was surprised Michael Medved, you know, the Judeo-conservative, you know, critic. His child, he said he didn't even have a TV. Mm -hmm. Listening to him one time, not even a TV for his three children, who are probably pretty much grown now. Mm -hmm. uh, all Paul is saying here is, is that it is, it is the, is the wiser part of valor to avoid temptable situations you know you might be a good soldier someone who can find him who can get himself into trouble and fight his way out of it and live a great soldier you don't even get into trouble <laughs> you stay away from it you know you stay you, you keep away from those situations that will kill you will yeah yeah you got to stay away from it and I'm sorry you were gonna say now you kind of uh, spoke on about the scripture say he resisted that would be the idea there of resisting the devil means that, how can I put it? Being holy is, is, is there's a passive and an active component of that. The active component is you need to stay away from temptation, but sometimes the temptation comes to you. And when the temptation comes to you through no fault of your own, what do you do? You resist the devil. And by the way, let's understand something real. We'll never get to Rome, Corinthians. Um, let's understand something. Your biggest fight in your life is not the devil. I'm sorry. He's not. He is not the one that makes you sin. You make yourself sin. Your greatest enemy is your flesh, your fallenness that you lug around with you. And were it not for your fallenness, Satan couldn't tempt you. Right. How does Satan tempt you? Through the flesh. Right. How does the world tempt you? Through the flesh. Therefore, where's your battle? The flesh. And throughout the New Testament, Paul talks about how you need to deal with the flesh. 
he spends very little time talking about spiritual. You know, they got these people doing spiritual warfare boot camps and binding demons and all kinds of weirdness out there. Look, you know, um, it doesn't work that way. You don't bind the devil. You don't bind Satan. That's that's not that's not an activity because how do you know what Satan is and isn't doing? I don't know. If I'm if I if I get a temptation, how do I know that's the devil doing it? It probably isn't. You think the devil's going to worry about small potatoes like us? Look at the church leaders. How they, I mean, we just had another yeah. paper here locally, child pornography. Yeah, you, you, gonna, Satan's after the big boys. He's not after you and me. All right. Um, our problem, our problem is the flesh. Our problem is our fallenness. And and throughout the New Testament, the Paul says the way you deal with your own sanctification is not figuring out how to bind Satan and figure out some spiritual warfare gimmick or what he's up to. The way to deal with sin is to deal with your own corruption and flesh. That's how you deal with it. Because that's where Satan attacks you. It's through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's where it comes from. I bind them up and someone keeps listening. Yeah. You think, you know, say, I bind you, Satan, saying, oh, see, sorry, I can't do that. You know, look, you know, you, Satan is so much more powerful than any of us can imagine. You know, we, we can't, and then people say, well, you know, what about that passage where it talks about binding the strong man in Matthew? You know, well, understand that's an illustration that Christ is saying. The, the Pharisees had accused him of doing all of these miracles in the power of Satan, right? And Christ is saying, well, that's idiotic. That's absurd. Number one, why would Satan cast out Satan? That doesn't make any sense. A house divided against itself cannot stand. So I can't be... I can't be of the devil doing this. So if I'm not of the devil, then how am I able to do that? Well, if I'm going to come into your house and rob you, I got to, back in those days, I got to be stronger than you, right? If you're there in your house and I'm going to rob you, I've got to be bigger than you. I've got to tie you up first before I can rob your house. All right. And Christ is saying, if I'm robbing the house of Satan, what does that say about me? I'm able to tie him up. It's not a it's not a statement that I'm to go tie Satan up and bind Satan and all of that. The only there's there is a place in the Bible where Satan is bound. Where is it? Well, that's the eternal part. But before that, it's the abyss, right? And who does the binding? Michael. You don't bind the devil. We don't bind Satan and, and all of that. Paul is saying. You need to deal with your flesh and your corruption in a way, in the sexual component of that, sexual arena, you flee it. You run from it. You got to, folks. And he's saying here, every every sin that a man does outside the bot is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. You're sinning against your own body by doing that. It looks great, it looks glamorous. It looks fun, but you wind up killing yourself. You destroy yourself. I've seen that with some of the clients I counsel clients who yeah. are 15, 16 years old and have a couple of different sexual partners already. You can just see uh, there's this one uh, in some of our afternoon classes. You take a piece of masking tape and you stick it on your arm, and that's like the first time you have a sexual partner. And if you pull off the tape, you see there's a little skin and then stick it on another person and pull it off. You get more and more skin stuck each time and it's like a little part of you that gets lost each time. 
I think Lindsay. Yeah, I saw on Fox, the Fox News website, Lindsay Lohan, I guess she's in drug rehab or something. She says the hardest thing about drug rehab is giving up French fries and sex. Especially French fries. Especially French fries. Um, but but the whole point here, the whole point here, folks, is is immorality. The thing, the thing that why why is it? Okay, so why is it that Paul? Why is it that Paul? Or why is it that the Bible calls for the death penalty in the case of immorality, sexual immorality, in the Old Testament? Why did God do that? What would it contaminate? Society. It's a sin against the society. It destroys the fabric of society. Yeah, and those sins that strike at the foundation, the fabric of society, immorality, idolatry, murder, all those required the death penalty. Homosexuality, all those required the death penalty because they, they, they had a way of just not only destroying the person, but destroying society. Paul here, yeah. It just slides. The brakes go off. Yeah, we, you know, look where we're at now. Yeah. He says, if you commit immorality, you're sinning against your own body. You're destroying yourself. You're defrauding yourself. Um, you're, you're bringing God into that thing. You're making God a partner with you. Would you want to do that? Well, I was reading a statistically um, a couple of months ago where it showed purity with youth and all. Pornography, internet pornography target is from 12 to 19. Mm -hmm. uh, they made more money than uh, NBA and, uh, and baseball in one year. It's, 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 it's a multi... Multi, multi, multi billion dollar industry. I saw yeah. 17 yeah. And people think, oh, it's, it's fun, it's natural, what's the big deal? You know, the body for food, the food for body, right? It's all just a biological function, big deal, you know, so what? Listen, there are implications that extend beyond the physical act. It's, it's an emotional, it's a spiritual. It is destructive. It will destroy you. It destroys you. New generation, my opinion, new generation. Yeah. They don't like boring. They like shock. The shocking thing. Mm -hmm. So long time ago, when when I seen, I like drama, sad movie, mm -hmm. that kind of movie. I like, you know, I I I crying when I see movie. So now. Violence yeah, I look yeah. at some of these movies and it's like, who wants to watch that? Yeah, who wants to watch that? You know, there's more there, there's more to life than finding the next sexual partner. But you wouldn't know that from watching a lot of the daily sitcoms. You know, I've never watched Desperate Housewives. Never once. Never watched that show. You know, but there are Christians that know more about desperate housewives than they know about the book of Habakkuk. All right. Yeah. But the, but the whole point the whole point is 
we need we need to flee this stuff as as believers. We need to stay away from it. And there and, and Paul uses the, the big deal here is immorality because that was a real problem in that church. But whatever sin it is that you struggle with, and we all struggle with different ones, stay away from it. Don't don't expose yourself. If you have a problem with with spending too much money, don't go to the mall every Saturday. If you have too many pairs of shoes. Don't go to the mall. Just don't. Just stay away from it. Stay away from it. You can't afford the gas. Don't buy a Hummer. Yeah, you know. He says, uh, "Don't you know, verse nineteen, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. You were brought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body." And in your spirit, which are God's. Paul is saying your body and your spirit are God's. That is your material body and your immaterial body. Your immaterial self, the whole you. You're God's. It's not just your spirit that's God's. Your body is God's as well. Why did God save you? Did God save you so you can go and sin? No. Why would he do that? That doesn't make any sense. Why would God why would God send his son to die for you to deliver you from sin only to tell you now that you're forgiven? It's OK. Go ahead and sin. It doesn't matter because it's all forgiven now. Go ahead. No, it, it belongs to God. We take the Holy Spirit with us wherever we go. When we watch a movie, guess who's sitting right in the couch next to us? The Holy Spirit. When We engage in some form of entertainment. Who's there? The Holy Spirit. I sure hope you like Andy Griffin. I think he does. Andy was okay. Really, you're enslaving yourself. Yeah. Now, in verse, we got to seven. All right. But we're not going to get through seven, but we'll we'll make a hunk in. Now, concerning the things of which you wrote me, now Paul's turning his mind from his polemic at them to the things that they were asking him about. And the first thing he they ask him about is this whole concept of marriage. All right. Because that fits right in with Paul talking about this whole immorality thing. Now, concerning the things you wrote me, he said it's good for a man not to touch a woman and immediately say, oh, you know, I'm not allowed to hold her hand. You know, what is this? Uh, the word touch there, hopto, means to fasten to. It doesn't mean physical touch. It means to glue oneself to. He's talking about marriage. He's talking about connecting to a woman being glued to her. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, people say, well, you know, Paul, poor guy, you know, he's this misogamist, hate woman, hating person. You know, that's not what Paul's saying because he explains himself later on. And that is when you have a family, can you maximize necessarily your devotion to God? No, you got a wife to deal with kids. Now, is there anything wrong with that? No. No. And that's what Paul makes the statement later on. You know, God's not called everybody to being single. But you know what? If God's called you to be single, go for it and have ha- be happy about it. But not everybody's cut out for that. And he, he acknowledges that because he says, nevertheless, because of immorality, sexual immorality, let every man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. God built in a natural desire for intimacy into the human being. In some people, that is stronger than others. 
And Paul is saying if, you know, because of immorality, if you find yourself being drawn into immorality, um, get married. That's that's where, you know, your sexual desire can be can be expressed in an appropriate and God honoring way. In the bounds of a of a committed relationship with a husband between a husband and wife. That's how God designed them. Who created sex? God did. And I'm going to tell you something, you know, to be honest with you. All right. Eve was not an ugly woman. She was probably a knockout. And you know what? Adam was a hunk. All right. I say that from the female perspective, you understand. <laughs> but at, these were these were perfect human beings, untainted by sin. They weren't ugly people. They were probably very attractive, handsome, beautiful, whatever. You know, God created that. That's it, and this is the thing to understand. Is the desire evil? No. No, it's not. Is it wrong to be thirsty? No. No. What's thirst? Naturally. What's your body telling you? Well, the salt levels are getting a little high in your bloodstream. You need to take in water to sustain your life. If you ignore that long enough, you die of thirst. Is being hungry wrong? No, it's your body telling you it needs fuel in order to survive. There's nothing. Is sexual desire in and of itself wrong? No. No. How it is expressed is wrong. Paul is saying here, if you have strong natural desires for marriage, get married. Now, it's good if you don't have to get married. That's good. But because, and in Paul's case, think of Paul. You know, how could Paul have ministered across the Roman world had he been married with three kids? Couldn't, right? Some people God has called to a particular life of singleness, others he hasn't. And then in verse 3 says, let the husband render his wife the affection due her, and likewise also the wife to her husband. In other words, don't use sexual intimacy as a weapon to beat up on each other. Don't withhold. And notice what it says here <clears throat> to the husband. The husband is to render to the wife that which she needs. What does the woman need? The house, vacuum, drugs, oh, uh -huh. money to shop with. <laughs> the husband is to is to is to to do his his um Paul even almost talks about it as a duty to make sure that she is fulfilled physically in whatever need she has. And what's the wife to do to the husband? Same. The same thing. That's the way God designed it. That's the way God designed it. Um, I teach the singles class here, and I remember, you know, I, there's reasons a lot of them were single, I'll be honest with you. Um, but, but, you know, it would be interesting to see some of the women who would, you know, the reason they were divorced is because they became very cold and unloving to their husbands. They wouldn't let him touch her. And finally, he went off and committed immorality, and she said, wonderful, I can divorce the sucker now and get rid of him and marry someone else. You know, it's like she set him up. 
You know? Now wait. Now wait. I'm not I'm not dis- I'm not disputing the fact that he shouldn't have done it. But there's a fault on the wife's side too. Now you just told me back here in six that nobody makes you do it. Nope. She you do it on your own. Yep. So she didn't make him do nothing. She didn't force him to do it, but but what? This is the, this is this is the, the the tension here, right? There's a tension here. There's a tension in the sense that if I mistreat my wife, if I treat her badly, if I am a godless husband or whatever, and she finds another man that treats her well and leaves me and marries him, she she she's wrong. She sinned. She left. There's no there's no arguing that. But God does not look at me and say, well, it's not any of your fault. It's all her fault. I'm responsible to be a godly husband to her so that she doesn't need to go find someone else. Okay. There, there's a mutuality here. You can't you can't look at it from one side or just the other side. There's there's a there's a mutual tension here. And Paul is telling the husband and wife that you need to make sure that the other partner is fulfilled in that relationship so that they are not doing what? Yeah. Seeking satisfaction in another spot. Or thinking about it or being drawn to it. All right. That's part of your responsibility in a marriage. It, and again, Paul is saying um, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but the wife. You belong to one another. I am responsible in my marriage to make sure that Donna is fulfilled in all aspects of her life. That's my responsibility. God's going to hold me responsible for that. And God holds her responsible for fulfilling me all right that's that's the way it is and you're not to use this sexuality as a weapon you know well you're in the doghouse tonight go sleep with this dog you know that's that's not that's not what what we should be and why is that why is that no why is that what will that prevent Adultery. It prevents immorality. Generally, how do you prevent? Generally, if if you if you have if you're a woman and you're married to a man that does everything he can to make sure that your needs are met emotionally and physically, are you going to be looking for someone else? No. Probably not. If you're a man whose wife who has a wife who treats you with respect and love and and, and meets your physical needs, are you going to be looking for someone else? No, generally you're not, and that's what Paul's talking about. Generally, you're not. No, nobody perfect, right? No. Each other satisfaction. No. Nobody. No. Life. But today is is clear. That's clear is the populism. Mm-hmm. Three days divorce. Mm-hmm. Then much you corrupted over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because materially. Yeah. They develop the economy, they develop the life. Drive through divorce in California? 
They had drive-through yeah, marriages over there. Yeah, they got they got they got drive-through marriages over there. They got the wedding chapel. You go in, get your marriage license, get married, and you know, fifteen minutes, twenty minutes out the door. You know. Yeah. What what Paul is saying? Yeah. And, and what Paul is saying is that that he acknowledges that God is building to us these desires, but these desires are fulfilled within a marriage. And it's a responsibility of both partners in a marriage to meet each other's needs. That's that's the way God designed it. All right. And if you're fulfilled within your marriage, there is less likelihood of one, you seeking something outside or two, you being tempted to go outside. That's what he's getting at. And that's the danger with something like pornography. It's going to destroy the purity and the intimacy completely. Yeah. That's what it does. Because nobody nobody looks as good as what's on that, you know, in those pictures. I don't I I was talk I um we had a EMC salesman. EMC is disc arrays, large volume disc arrays at store storage arrays and he came and he was talking to um, the IT department. I was at a, a I think a lunch with, with him and the other guys that work with the disc systems there at Moen. And he talked about some account he had, I think it was Detroit, he had an account up there. And he said it was really weird because they, they, they bought a lot of, you know, EMC disc, which is computer storage. And he went to this place, he says, really weird. It's a really weird building they were in. And as he's walking down, he, he kept hearing these sounds behind these doors, you know, what's going on. Well, come to find out, it was a brothel. All right, this place. A whorehouse. All right. No, I'm not making it up. He said, he said it, it's weird. And he said, he said what, what this company was, he didn't know it at the time, but this company bought a lot of this disc subsystem stuff, these, these disc arrays. And what they were is they were, they were a pornography um, touch-up place, you know, basically. And he said they, they had this massive room with all of these people that work with like Photoshop and computer touch-up software. And all they spent all day long was taking these photographs, you know, the, the pornographic images, and brushing them up, removing the pimples, removing the stray hair, whatever it is. Um, they spent all day long doing that. And he said, well, he said what, what he come to understand is every image you would see in a magazine is not reality. It's a fantasy world. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. You know, um, you could take the most beautiful woman in the world, and they can, they can find some spot, and they they take the spot off. They take the pimple out. They take whatever it is. You know, touch it up, huh? Yeah, but what I'm saying, yeah, and, 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 but 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 the the point that 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 you know that was interesting when I heard him talk about this is is I said how many people pick up a magazine and think that's the woman. But if they actually met her in person, it's like, who in the heck is this? You know, this you don't look like your picture. Well, they, and there's no one that looks like the picture. All right. It doesn't exist. And 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 the, the, the thing that Satan traps us on is he gets us chasing something that's not real. It doesn't exist. It, it's not there. We think that, well, if I could just marry that woman or see that lady or if I can be with her. I'll be happy. No, you won't. No, you won't. It's no, you know, it, it, it does. She, there is no such person, you know. And, and Paul is saying here, don't, in, in verse 5, he said, don't deprive one another. 
What does it mean? Deprive one another how? By withholding sexual intimacy. Don't deprive one another. Except with consent for a time, they may give yourselves a fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. In other words, Paul says the only time you're to withhold one yourself from one another is if you have a mutually agreed upon time, a fasting prayer, some some time that you've decided together. But when it's over, come again, come again together, lest Satan does what? Tempt you. How do you avoid, as a married person, how do you avoid sexual immorality? One, you run from it on the outside. Two, you cultivate a satisfying relationship with your partner. That's how you avoid it. That's that's a no-brainer, Paul is saying. You know, that's that's what you do. And I say this as a concession, not as a commandment, for I wish that all men were even as myself, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner, another in that. He's talking about singleness here. Now, some people say, well, see, this is Paul. He's not inspired. This is not the inspired word of God. This is his opinion. All right. First of all, let's understand something. Paul is not saying this is not inspired. It's inspired by God. Right. But Paul is saying, if I had my choice, I wish that all men were like me. But all men are not like me. That's all he's saying. All men are not like me. Let each one, but each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner, one in that manner. Some people are gifted to be single. Great. But that's not the norm. If it was the norm for all Christians to be single, what would happen about 50 years from now? No Christians, right? Go the way of the shakers. Yeah, you go the way of the shakers. You know, one thing you know about shakers, there's a shaker square somewhere, but that's it. That's that's the last of them. You know, they're gone. All right. And 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 all Paul is saying there is that is that God has designed marriage. Marriage is a is a wonderful institution designed by God for the preservation of society, for the procreation of children, for the proper expression of sexual desire within a marriage. That's a wonderful thing, blessed by God. You go outside of that, you're going to destroy yourself and destroy society. And to prevent that, mind each other. You know, you need to be concerned with your your spouse, your wife. You know, one of the things, you know, to ask yourself, are you concerned with the spiritual health of your spouse? Mm-hmm. You know, Donna, you know, she likes to watch a lot. She watches TV a lot. She can't hear. She can't drive. She can't go shopping. Thank goodness. I mean, you, you know, when she did, I like to go broke. But she can't go shopping a lot. You, you might, you know, she loved to do that. When we lived in Lorraine, like every day, she would go to Hills just to talk to people. You know, just everybody knew her by name. I mean, everybody knew Donna by name. But um, so she watches movies, and we'll go to the tape store, and she'll say, you know, maybe I need to watch this one. I look back and say, no, you don't want to watch that one. You know, because maybe I heard about it, you know, on a, on a review or something. Say, Donna, that's not a movie you, you should be watching. You don't want to do that. You know, part of my responsibility is to make sure she watches the right stuff. Like not watching Desperate Housewives and soap operas and the other kind of stuff. 
Um, she watches the Hallmark Channel. So, but but the whole point there is that, and, and you know what? She needs to be sensitive in me as well to keep me from looking at stuff I should, you know. That's good stuff. Don't get on that, you know. Way out. Yeah. Way out of left field. That's wholesome. First eight, but I say to the unmarried and to the widows. Now, um, we got to understand some terms here, okay? There's unmarried, there's widows, and there's divorced. What's the difference between them all? Unmarried and widows are there not by choice. They haven't sinned. Well, you've got unmarried, you've got widows, and then later on you've got virgins. So what do you think the designations mean? Widows is a no-brainer, right? What's a widow? Spice died. Your wife or your husband died. Yeah. Unmarried, what do you think that is? They're single now, but... They're single now, but previously married. You can make the case they were previously married, now they're not. It could be divorced, it could be their spouse left them, abandonment, any number of things. And then, of course, the third category is virgins. Who are they? They're never married. All right? So Paul is saying to the unmarried and the widows, now the question here is, by the way, back then they had divorce just as bad as we have it today. It was an issue, it was a real problem in that society. And what do you do if you're a divorced person? How, how do you, what, what can you do? And one of the questions they probably asked Paul is saying, what do we do about all these people? You know, we have divorced people. Can they remarry? Can, are they allowed to remarry? That's a real question. Now, now the reason that brought up, and we're never going to get through 1 Corinthians 7 tonight, but, but just understand that there are some churches where if you're divorced, you know, they've like taken a big iron with a big D on it, just branding you on the forehead, and you are a pariah. You know, you're just, don't want anything to do with you. Um, you're forever marked. You know, that's, that's almost the unforgivable sin in some churches, and you'll never marry in that church. You're not allowed to remarry. Um, if you remarry, you're sinning against God. If you're divorced and you remarry. Um, and that's a real question that they were asking. And what you're going to find in 1 Corinthians 7 is Paul gives two categories, two reasons an unmarried person can remarry. Christ gives one, Paul gives two more. All right, and we're going to find that as we work through. By the way, the one that Christ gave is what? Adultery, right? Because on the Old Testament law, what would happen to the adulterous partner? And death releases you from your marriage, so, you know. God basically allowed for that. He gave that allowance. All right. But he says to the unmarried and the widows, these are people who were married now and they're not married. They, I mean, they're not married now, but they were married. In one case, the spouse died. In the other case, the spouse either abandoned them, left them, divorced them, whatever. It's good for them if they remain even as I. If you are unmarried, if you're widows, it's good to remain single. That's a good thing. But if you can't exercise self-control, 
Let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now, is that is that a slap against those who have desire necessarily? No, what Paul is saying is some people are not cut out for singleness. Matter of fact, matter of fact, most people aren't. All right. So if you're not cut out for singleness, get married. Because it's better to marry than to what? Deal with your passions. There's nothing wrong with the desires. He's not saying the desires are evil. They're a natural, normal part of our existence as human beings. And were it not for those passions, we wouldn't be here. The race would die out. There's nothing wrong with that. But if, if you don't need to get married, then, then don't. Stay unmarried. Alan, is there a difference? I mean, I'm not seeing that uh, Paul was once married, Alan. No. If, if in the beginning of verse 8, he, he talks about people who aren't married, and then he says, it's better to stay unmarried like me. How are those two definitions of unmarried different? If we're unmarried and to the widows, it's good for them to remain even as I am. I am single. Now, now there's a whole debate on, well, was Paul married or not? Um, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say he was. The Bible doesn't say he wasn't. Um, the only proof you can say if he was a member of the Sanhedrin, he would have had to be married to be a member of the Sanhedrin. Um, yeah. But um, we're not, we don't know. We, we don't know. But Paul is saying is that he is in a single state, right? He could have been a widower, he could have been unmarried, or he could have been a virgin and never married. He's saying if, if you're not married now to the ones who are unmarried and widows, it's better that you not get married again if, that's, if you can handle it. Don't get remarried. But if you can't handle it, go get married. All right? I mean, later on, actually, well, not later on, but in 1 Timothy chapter 6, chapter 5, what does he tell the younger widows to do? Remember? Marry and bear children. Why? Because that's normal for them to do so. It's normal for them to marry. All right? Um, he urges them, and that's, that's in the context of putting widows on the roll. We can, that's a different issue, but, but the whole point is Paul is acknowledging not everyone is cut out for the single lifestyle. If you're not, go get married. There's nothing wrong with that. Now to the married I command, who are they? Well, they're the ones that are married. Yet not I but the Lord. I'm not saying this, but God told you this. Now what's that mean there? It's not Paul's opinion. He said, I'm telling you something that the Lord has already told you. A wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. Bottom line is, if you're married as believers, you are not to divorce. Except for what? Adultery. Adultery. And, and do you have to divorce in that case? No. And what, re, and what case would you want to have to divorce? Unrepentant, habitual, constant you might have to do that. Now, here's a wrinkle. What about uh, a husband who beats the living daylights out of his wife every time? What about that? Should she divorce him? Well, that's not what Paul said. 
Yes, I believe because it's endangering her and she's suffering. And there's a lot of issues. That's not what Paul said. It doesn't matter. So we got a fourth condition now, right? I'm playing devil's advocate, that's all. Just understand. I'm not saying she should stay there and allow herself to be beat up. I'm saying should she sue for divorce? We'll answer that next week. Think about it. But the general concept here is what? As Christians, you're to remain married. Why? Because you made a covenant and a promise before God. By the way, marriage is a covenant, not a contract. What's the difference? What's a contract, John? What's a contract? Meaning of the minds. It's meaning of the minds, and what do we do? And a contract, what, what, what do contracts have in them? I do this, and you do that, right? And if you don't do that, this is the penalty. If I don't do this, it's, that's a contract. That's not what marriage is. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a covenant. What's a covenant? I promise I obligate myself under no, no consideration what you do. I'm going to love you. I'm going to. Take care of you till death do you part, sickness and health, rich or poor, whatever. I'm making a promise. That's a covenant. Covenant of steel. Yeah. Steel is a heap of Steel covenant is unconditional. It's unconditional. Two different kinds. Steel can change it. But God's covenant is faithful. And generally, in general terms, a covenant is something that, that I promise under no obligation on your part. Okay, a contract is something where we make an exchange of, uh, you know, I'm going to do this if you do that. All right. Marriage is not, um, I, Don, I'll tell you what, I'll love you as long as you're pretty. I'll love you as long as you do this. And you said there are four conditions, so there's fine print. As long as you don't beat me, um, cheat on me. Well, we're going to come back to that. Because... Because that's something as a pastor he has to deal with. He's got women coming in who's you know gotten beat up by their husbands, you know, or, or them they and their children are in constant danger oh of this yeah, guy. Yeah. What what do you tell a woman like that? So we're gonna we're gonna hit it. We're not gonna run away from it. But the whole point is Paul saying the general concept in the church you to remain married. Because you made a covenant. But doesn't it say elsewhere in the Bible about abandonment? We're going to get to that. There are exceptions. There are exceptions. Paul's laying down the general statement. Just like Christ did. You know, when the, when the Pharisees came and said, is it okay for a man to divorce his wife for any cause? Christ said, well, don't you read the Bible? Don't you read your own scriptures? In the beginning, it was not so. God made the male and female. For this cause, let a man leave his father, mother, cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. The whole point there is, is Christ is saying the original design by God was an indissoluble union. However, yeah, but Adam and Eve you're dealing with... The apple was the design of God. And so now there's, there has to be allowances the, for our sin. And that, that's the point that Christ brings. Because of the hardness of your heart, God allowed... 
divorce. And what Christ is saying is if you, if you divorce your wife for any cause other than what? Adultery. adultery. You're causing her to commit adultery and you're committing adultery when you remarry. There is a valid escape in that case. Christ is saying the valid escape is adultery on the spouse's part. Because see, the problem with the Pharisees is they they had all kinds. They they had they were arguing this. They had big debates on what can you divorce your wife over. And um, one of the one of the groups says, you know, if she burns the toast in the morning, don't like it, you divorce her. If you find somebody prettier than her, you can divorce her and marry someone else. Yeah, it was extreme. You could. Now, now the woman didn't have that right, but but the man did. He could. He, all he had to do was walk out of his house, say, "I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you." She's gone. She's history. Packs up and goes back to her family. That's all he had to do. That's why the story Moses gave it to Moses gave it to the certificate, right? Yeah, and that was to protect her and and him, and that that's a whole big. If we get into that, we'll never get through this this whole thing. But the point is. There was a valid escape. Now, later on in this passage, Paul's going to bring up two additional conditions. All right. One was if you're if you were divorced before you came to know the Lord in in Christ, all things are new. The second one is if you're abandoned. If your spouse just an unbelieving spouse walks out and leaves you. All right. But but he's getting there. He's saying the original design by God is one man, one woman, for life, indissoluble. That's that's the ultimate um, expression of this. And as much as lies within you, that's how you're to live in the church. So to the married, stay married. If you're unmarried, it's best you can be unmarried. But you know if you can't, yeah, you can go get married. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say. Now, this is where people say, well, here's Paul just tossing in his little opinion here. You know, this is uninspired. What's Paul saying? He's saying, well, I'm going to give you a condition that Christ didn't talk about. Right. Did Christ talk about what condition for divorce and remarriage did Christ talk about? Adultery. Adultery. I'm giving you another one. Okay. If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And if a woman who has a husband who does not believe if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. In other words, what do you do in the case of a husband and wife where one's saved and one isn't? You stay together. Stay together. You stay together. Why? Because that's God's original plan. And why is that? Well, the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean, but now they are holy. Now, there's a lot of weirdness coming out of that verse. All right. Understand what Paul is saying. If you are in a family with an uh, with a with one person, one spouse is saved and one isn't, the Holy Spirit is there, right? And when God pours out blessings on the unbeliever, some of it bounces off and hits. The unbeliever. On the believer, some of it bounces off and hits the unbeliever. Now, would you rather have your kids brought up in a home with one Christian parent or no Christian parents? Why? Because the children are holy. He's not saying the children are made holy. Some people say, well, that means that um, if kids, if there's children 
in a home where there's two unbelievers and they die, they go to hell. But if one of them is a believer there, they go to heaven because there's a Christian there. That's screwy. That's not what this is talking about. And, and, and think about Pharaoh. Why not Pharaoh? Potiphar. Did Potiphar get blessed by God? Why? Because Joseph was there. Did Nebuchadnezzar get blessed by God? Why? Daniel was there. <laughs> All right. The whole point is, if you have an un Paul is saying, if you have a family unit where one is saved and one isn't, and the, the unbelieving spouse is or partner is willing to stay there, stay there. Because what would happen, you know, as a woman, you know, you you get you'd come to know the Lord, and you know, it's a wonderful thing, and you've got some deadbeat husband, you know, and there's this real nice looking guy in the church that you'd like to get with, and you know, the easy thing is to, you know, divorce the the jerk and marry this nice guy, or you know, same with Paul saying, no, no, it doesn't work that way. Just because you become a believer doesn't mean you can violate and void your covenants. You're still accountable. The onus is on you to stay there, but if the husband unbeliever departs, let him go. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases. What do you think bondage means? You're not bound in the marriage. If your unbelieving spouse leaves you, what are you to do? Let them go. You're not to initiate the divorce, but if they do and they want out, let them go. If they leave you and don't come back, then you're just supposed to stay married to them? They might divorce you. What if they don't divorce you? You just stay unmarried. No, that's not what I'm saying. If they leave. If they leave. Yes. In the black community, that's a big thing. Mm -hmm. They leave. They don't never come back. So you just stay married to them. Well, you're still legally married to them until they divorce you. Until they divorce you. Yes. They have to initiate the divorce. But that's abandonment. They did. They abandon you. Right. But then you said stay married to them. No. Understand, there's the legal and the practical. What Paul is saying is that as a believer... I am not to initiate the divorce, except in the case of adultery. I have that right to do that. Other than that, I'm not to initiate a divorce as a believer. But if my wife leaves me, I'm to let her go. But I can't initiate it. You can't initiate it. Yeah. Well, there's some that say he committed adultery. I'm free. Oh, girl, on the roll. You know, you know they've done that. You know, I, I'm I'm saying let's look at what this look at the principle here. As a believer, I am not to initiate a divorce. But if you leave, if I leave you, if I if I'm married, help me if I am. But you no, know, if I was, and, and I were to leave you and not divorce you, I was just move out and leave you. And never divorce you. Are we still married? Yes. Yes, we are. Legally, we are. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, if I go commit adultery, if I if I leave you and I go live with some other woman, I've committed adultery, right? I have broken the marriage. But if you leave and go move with the man, same thing. <laughs> no, that's going to be the same thing. If I go, if I'm in a homosexual relationship, I didn't say homosexual. Okay. You just covering it up because you're living with the living rooming with the man. Mm-hmm. Now, 
And you and you know you have to have proof. It says you have to prove that this person is having an adultery, that you're in an adultery. So then you just stay married to him. Mm -hmm. You've gone five, six years, not just stay there with you. Just mm -hmm. stay there and wait on you. Yep. Don't wonder the world is in a mess. I'm saying you gotta deal with the text. I mean you gotta deal with I'm what Paul's talking about here. I'm not in the text. You got you got you got to handle what you got to you know you're gonna be, you guys gonna be fuming and fretting all week long you know we're coming back next week you're gonna be loaded for bear you know now if you all would have got First Corinthians commentary by by MacArthur you'd understand all of this all right see John's got an up on you because he's read this he knows yeah I'm saying I'm saying you need to you need to deal because see this is this is the issue here. You've got these principles in scripture, then you've got reality. What do you do if a man and this has happened? A woman got married and, and the next thing you know, her husband left her and moved in with his boyfriend. Now technically he didn't commit adultery, but it falls under the same thing of immorality and abandonment. So alright, we're out of time. Father, thank you for this time we've had to study. Help us to remember it, ponder it. Thank you so much for being here and teaching us. And bring us back safely next week in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening. This podcast was made in part with creative consulting and production assistance by Third Mass Studio. For your production needs, send an email to thirdmassstudio at gmail.com. For other lectures in this series and more biblical media resources, visit theopenword.org.